Welcome to the Provo Pick and Roll Podcast. Joining me today is the planner of urban environments, an official planner of the urban environments now. He is three NCAA uh, football campaign champion and anime enthusiast, Brady Hill. How are you doing, Brady? I am doing good, Jordan. I have officially moved into the Eastern time zone with you, um, so we won't have to have confusion when we're planning these podcasts as much anymore. But I was going to ask you how your sports watching experience has been on the East Coast, because that's one of my, at least not East Coast, I guess, but just East Eastern time zone, is I've been concerned about how late games are going to start. I mean, that is the reality. A lot of the playoff games that I've been watching, like they don't get done until like 1 a.m. So, but it's been okay. I've kind of been transitioning to be a little bit more of a night owl anyways, because my girlfriend is definitely a night owl as well. So, you know, it just kind of worked out like that. But I will say that is one major disadvantage of living on the East Coast, is not having the sporting events be at like normal hours. Have you watched? Can you can you record? Could you do you do you still use YouTube TV? Can you yeah. record things? Yeah, so I can record things. So I've done that sometimes, especially with like the BYU games, because usually they'd have the late games anyways. Um, yeah. Even on the West Coast. Yeah. So it'd be like starting at midnight or one in the morning here. So for the most part, I would record those games and watch them the next day. But, yeah. I don't know if I have that luxury, but I'll have to look into that now. I am concerned about that, and I'm, I'm gonna walk, be walking into work at eight o'clock in the morning, in the during football season. I'm pretty sure on uh, on Fridays at least, if there's like a Thursday night game, and just I think I'm just gonna suffer. It's my current plan, which isn't a great plan, but it's what I'm going with right now. I mean, so wait for the NFL or for. Is that what you're talking about? I'm thinking like if BYU has like yeah, sometimes they play on like Thursday nights or I guess Friday nights would be fine, but yeah, that's the basketball games. You know, someone spoiling the game for you the next day. I don't anticipate that you're going to be running into a lot of BYU fans at your work, but you just never know. Yeah, we'll find out, I guess. But um, but yeah. It is a struggle. And honestly, sometimes I will record the game, but then I'll just never get around to watch it. So that's the other that's the other, other caveat to that too. Yeah, I have to be careful texting you because sometimes you haven't watched the game that I assume that you've watched. Yeah. If it's a game that I really care about, I'm pretty cautious about it though. Like if anyone texts me anything, like oh no. Have I, I spoiled know, have I spoiled something <laughs> that you that comes to mind? Huh? Have I spoiled the game that comes to mind? Uh, going to watch? Not that I remember. Do you remember one? No, I just assume that I have. I'm sure you I'm have. Just, but I don't I'm think one, I was just curious about that much. I was just curious if there was one that's like uh, still still bothering you. That's just like you're you're harboring resentment against me because I texted you something. Oh wrong. no, it has to be done. I think there was a few BYU basketball games this last season where you were te- you texted me and you were like, "Oh man, they're they're really kind of sucking right now, aren't they?" It's like, "Oh, well, at the point that I'm in, because I was like behind in the action, I was like, they're doing good now, but 
<laughs> have no hope for the for the rest of the game. But um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. But... Well, Jordan, it's been uh, it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, we've both been very busy with. I just graduated my master's program, and then you had a very important uh, testing process that you just finished up. And so it's been a while since we've been able to talk. Last time we we were uh, had our last podcast, we were discussing a preview of the um, NCAA basketball men's bracket. And since then, there's been a lot of things happening, including all of March Madness and most of the NBA playoffs. And so we're going to talk about those things today, as well as a little bit of conference realignment discussion. And then we'll have a, a fun segment that Jordan has devised at the end of the episode as well. But first, we'll start with the uh, with college basketball recap, um, at least a month too late. But it's a good reminder for everyone, because I feel like sometimes you watch all of the college basketball and then it gets to the next year and you're like, I don't even remember who won last year. It's all a blur. So this is helping you getting a little refresher going into the summer. Uh, but UConn ended up beating San Diego State in the in the final final game with UConn winning their is it their fourth championship in the past twenty years, something like that. Um, sure, but yeah. Well, and I'm trying to remember. Can you remember memory? Did they have one of their championships like taken away? I don't know. I don't really count them. Yeah. Because they, I mean, they won. That and really, I, I don't, yeah, I don't get into those, those things too much, but I think it is something like that. Because I think they won, you know, they won the championship with Kimba uh, Walker, right? Uh-huh. Years ago. I think they also won in like 2015. Yep. That was like Jeremy Lamb on that team and stuff like that. Yep. And they won back with uh, Rip Hamilton back in the early 2000s. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, not too shabby for the Huskies. What were your thoughts? Go ahead. The dominance in women's basketball for like, you know, seven or eight straight years or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Well, what were your thoughts on uh, on the Huskies and then also just kind of your general thoughts taken away from the tournament? Any games particular you wanted to discuss or any moments that stood out to you? I mean, yeah. Overall, UConn was clear, clear in the way, like the strongest team in the tournament, which was interesting because you know coming in at the four seed, you, you weren't necessarily expecting that from them. But we did talk in our preview about how they were maybe a little bit underrated at that position because there were times like during the season where they were like the top team in the country. They were like rate, you know, like they had the top rated offense and things like that. So really, not too much of a surprise, but. Um, but yeah, overall, very impressive performance from UConn. Um, I mean, always a fun to uh, topic of conversation with the NCAA tournament with all the upsets. And what I thought was interesting this year, we had a lot of super fun upsets. Another 16 seed beating one seed. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be at that game. So I guess I wanted to just talk about that game a little bit because that was one of the most fun basketball experiences I think I've ever, you know, had was. You know, being there, I had not expected much out of that game because, you know, on top of it being a 16 seed versus a one seed, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, playing Purdue, Fairleigh Dickinson's tallest player was 6'7". And 
you know, obviously on the other side, you have Purdue as Zaki coming in at 7'4", 305 pounds. So it was just, it was just so amazing. It, it was mind-blocking, really. That's what it was. To to just look down at the court and just see Zach Eadie just dwarfing everybody else. And then somehow, like, they still could not score. Like, I think the, the final score was um, 63 to 58. So it was a relatively lower-scoring game. But, yeah, Purdue yeah. just not get anything going. Because, yeah, I mean... Billy Dickinson had a really good game plan. They did a good job of keeping the ball away from Zach Eady. But even when he got it, you know, he was getting double teamed and stuff like that. But he just couldn't get much to happen. So you got to tip your hats off to them overall. Super fun game to watch. Well, I remember watching the highlights of that game. I wasn't able to watch very much of it in person, unfortunately, because we were doing other things. So I was just keeping up with my phone and seeing the text thread of our friends uh, with you at the game, getting, getting some, giving us some updates. But like, I remember in the highlights that Purdue had so many guys on the perimeter, just wide open, mm-hmm. wide open three pointers that fairly Dickinson was like, yep, you, you're going to, we're going to give you those and hope you miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not going to let this giant dude player of the year beat us. That's our, that's their strategy that they went with. And it worked for that game. That's the, that's the beauty of the tournament, right? Is that fairly Dickinson doesn't have to be better than Purdue. They don't have to be better than Purdue 99 times out of the 100, but the one time, that one game, Purdue shoots really poorly and uh, they can get got. And so, yeah, that's pretty awesome to have been there to for the second ever 16 over one. Yeah, it really made me wish that that UMBC blip didn't happen a few years ago because then I could have been the first ever 16 seed beating a one seed. But yeah, it was so fun too with the environment because. You know, no one in the crowd knew who Fairleigh Dickinson was before the game, you know, except for, you know, there were some Fairleigh Dickinson fans there. But by the end of the game, the whole crowd that wasn't in Purdue fans were chanting, you know, FDU. Yeah, it was so fun. And it was fun because, yeah, FDU had some pretty fun players to watch, in particular, Dimitri Roberts, you know, a 5A player, which it's fun because, you know, it's fun to have this platform for him because, He's not going to make it to the NBA. He's not going to like be on any bigger stage. But for him to have that moment in the NCAA tournament, it's one of those things that you just got to uh, got to appreciate, I guess. So, if I'm remembering correctly, Fairleigh Dickinson, they shouldn't have even been in the tournament. Yeah, were they the, were they the school who they? Uh, I don't remember who it was in their conference, but someone else actually won the league. But they because they. They weren't eligible because they hadn't been in Division One for three years or something, and yep. so Fairleigh Dickinson got in anyways. Yeah, uh, which it just shows how wild the tournament is because there is just no reason to think, no reason to think that that would ever happen based on a team that's not even good at their own level being able to beat Purdue. Yeah, who is very good at the highest level of college basketball. And has a physically dominant force player that's like, like a Shaq level, like college player, right? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, because it's hard. Because one of the biggest variables is just are the players like the players' mental states. You know, like are they going to show up? Are they nervous? Stuff like that. Because you can tell it's like some of those teams, like yeah, Purdue. Those were just you know, it was just a mind game. I think was. 
their shooters on the perimeter. They were just getting in their heads and they were just missing wide open shots. Um, I think that also happened with Arizona too, because that's another head scratch where you look at, if you looked at all the statistics and everything, you would never guess that Princeton would have beat Arizona. Because, and that's the thing with them, like Princeton didn't really even play a good game. Let's see, so they won 58 to 55. So it's not like they scored the ball very well. And I, I mean, they played decent defense, but I think Arizona just missed a bunch of shots, you know, and turned the ball over a lot. So Yeah, I, I know that's one that I'm going to regret if you go back and listen to the other podcast. I was pretty vehemently like, if any 15 seed is going to going to win, it's not going to be Princeton. Yeah. Because I had watched them, I had watched Princeton play a couple different games this year, and I had seen Arizona with their, with their the also overwhelming height. If they're two big guys who are pretty good, they have uh, Courtney Ramey running around out there and a few other guards who are pretty talented. And I was like, Princeton doesn't have any chance to win this game, really. But once I, I will tell you, as a Texas fan, once I saw them like just give the ball to Courtney Ramey towards the end of the game for like the last six possessions, I was like, this is a terrible idea. What are you doing? Yeah. Is... So. It was hard, though, because they didn't have anyone really to go to because their big guys both had terrible games, too. Yeah, they were really bad that game. So, yeah. But see, that's the thing. is Sometimes you got to think of the opposite thing, not not which 15 seed is the best, but which two seed is the worst, you know? You know what yeah. I mean? And I definitely would have said Arizona was and you also went to the Florida Atlantic game, right? The first round Florida Atlantic game. That was also really which was a good one, yeah. That that was a blast. It came down to that last last second drive, the lefty layup, uh, Florida Atlantic coming out on top. Yeah, that was really good too. And then you know, especially since Florida Atlantic made their run to the final four as well, how much better. So yeah, I got I looked out. I got I got some good games. So. But you had some good games too. So, because what you were at the, so you had Texas and, yeah, which yeah we had Texas and Penn State, yep. which was a, a pretty good game. Um, and then the other game was uh, Kansas, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. That was also yeah. a pretty good game. Kind of ugly game. Would you agree? The Kansas, Arkansas game? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Uh, Kansas didn't play particularly well, and Arkansas played above kind of their level uh for that game but it was exciting it was fun to watch and uh got to see eric musselman uh rip his shirt off and and relate with his uh with his constituency in arkansas um they all you know it's kind of that's what they do down there is uh in inappropriate social behavior so but it was fun and then also had the Texas uh, uh, Texas Xavier game the next week. That was, well, I guess I didn't watch that one, but that one was fun. So yeah. I had a couple good games. Yeah. Not as good as yours, but they were fun. Any thoughts on the, the Texas run in the tournament? I thought they played really well. It's unfortunate that Dylan Nassu got injured um, because he, he carried them in Penn State. Like, ever since... Uh, a couple games before the Big 12 tournament, he had like 24 points against Baylor, something like that. And ever since then, he was dynamite. Like he was probably the best player in the Big 12. Uh, probably a top five, top 10 player in all of college basketball towards the end of the season. And he got hurt in that, uh, in the, 
in the Penn State game and then again in the Xavier game. So he ended up not playing against Miami, which did hurt them. It was unfortunate. Uh, Texas loses to Miami in the Elite Eight. It was a good run. It was great. I was happy about the team. I was satisfied for the this is the best like year Texas has had in in over a decade. Um, so it was. I was happy about it. I'm happy about it in uh, in hindsight. I'm still a little frustrated by the Miami game. I don't know if you watched too much of that, but no, I did. Um, but Texas was up by double digits with about ten minutes left, and then with ten minutes left to go, the referees completely changed their refereeing style up until that point it had been very much they let them play they're running up and down the court there wasn't very many fouls called at all in the first really first 30 minutes but especially in the first half uh, and Texas scored 45 points in the first half and then by the end of the game Miami had 32 free throws to Texas's 15 attempts and then uh there were a couple plays at the very end of the game, most notably um, a point at uh, where Texas was, I believe they were up by one or they were tied, and Brock Cunningham has an excellent blockout of um, of uh, of Miami's uh, center Omir, who had four fouls at the time, and clearly went over Cunningham's back. Cunningham gets a rebound, and they call a – I don't know what they called. They called a foul on Brock Cunningham for boxing him out. And uh, and so instead of Texas getting the ball already up one with two free throws with, like, a minute left, instead – my and, and fouling out their really only size in Omir on Miami. They actually gave Omir two free throws, and then um, – Texas turned the ball over, and then Miami scored again, and Omir scored the next points of the game. And so it was just a big, a big call. Which once again, it doesn't all come down to that, right? Like it's it's a it's a full game, and Texas missed some shots. It, once again, it would have been nice if, um, if Dylan Mitchell or not Dylan Mitchell, but uh, uh, Dylan DeSue were available. But a little bit of a frustrating end to the season. I would have liked to see them play UConn. Although I do think UConn, like you mentioned earlier, UConn, at, especially at that point in the season, they were just the best team. I don't think, I don't know if Texas, especially without Dylan DeSue, mm -hmm. I don't think they yeah. were going to win that anyways. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, a quick quick note from that game that I saw was that I do think that Texas, I mean, all those things that you mentioned, I think played a factor. But I think Texas's offense definitely got stagnant in the second half because so much of the offense was being run for Timmy, uh, Timmy Allen. Yeah. I don't know why. They, I mean, Timmy Allen had a really good first half, I think. And so he started to go to him a lot more. But I feel like the Texas offense just got so – everyone was stationary. You know, they were just giving it to Timmy Allen in the high to mid post. And, you know, he was getting some shots, but he wasn't creating shots for other people. And there's a lot of turnovers that came out of those – Turnovers are like tough contested shots that were coming out of those possessions. So I think there definitely could have been some adjustments made there. But I mean, overall, yeah, they played well. And then at the end of the day, they have Dylan to I think that makes all the difference. So, yep. Okay. Let's see. What were some other games they want to talk about? Oh, one game. I don't know. I would love to get your thoughts on this, but I think my favorite game of the tournament to watch was 
from the Kansas State Michigan State game that went into overtime. Mm-hmm. That was just super fun because you know teams with a lot of talent they were going back and forth. It kind of had Marquis Noel there who's on fire, you know, had you know, one of the highest assist numbers I think in the NCAA tournament of all time. And I think the moment that I will really remember from that game is, um, you know, once it had been into overtime, you know, both teams were kind of struggling to score a little bit. And Noel looks over to the sideline. He pretends like he's talking to his coach. And then Keontae jo- Johnson makes a back cut to the hoop. And Noel just throws like a 30-foot lob, you know. And then Keontae Johnson has a reverse alley and dunk. And I just remember being like amazed by that. Because like, not only was that like a crazy play in general, but at the juncture of the game that that took place in, like that's that's insane. Like most coaches would have like, you know, thrown a fit about like trying to show Mo, especially at that stage in the game. But I mean, it's it gave him the spark that they needed. That was, I feel like that was a big momentum swing in overtime to really push push them to the win. So yeah. Well, that was if I'm remembering correctly, that was that was on purpose, right? Like the, he was like arguing like if he was yeah. looking over the bench but like i think it was like intentionally arguing but not actually arguing right it was just a distraction it was almost like a you ever hear about like like people would run like the barking dog play yep in 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 like middle school basketball or something mm-hmm. you have one guy on the team who like gets on all fours and just starts barking like a dog and then everyone's like what is going on and then you just run and go score or something yeah, it was kind of like that, yeah. It was very well done, though, because it looked like, I mean, if you look at Noel, it looks like he was visibly frustrated at the couch. Yeah. For no, like, don't know what the reason could have been, but you can see there was just a little head nod from Keontae Johnson and then backdoor cut. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, any other games? What was your favorite game to watch? Is there one that stuck out in particular? Um... I think we've really mentioned most of the games that that were I, I particularly enjoyed. Uh the Furman game uh beating was it Virginia? Yep. That Furman beat in the first round with the catastrophic turnover that led That's to the, the worst turnover I think I've ever seen. I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might remember it a little better than me, but I remember sitting it was just me in our in our little office. I was working on homework on one computer, and I had a whole nother laptop, or I had a whole nother desktop next to me dedicated to college basketball. So I was like doing two things at once. Then I had another student, like two two computers down, and I just remember just yelling out loud. I was like, "Wow! Oh my gosh! What's going on? What is happening?" And then they were like, "What are you doing?" But that was that was that was one of probably the most like, "Oh my gosh!" moments of the tournament. Of, uh-huh shock of what happened yeah no that was crazy i still i would i don't i never like looked up to see if they had like a post-game interview with kihei clark the guy who had that terrible turnover at the end because i i would just want to know what he was thinking at that point because he threw it like pretty much right to the other team i don't know if he was yeah. trying to kill the clock by throwing it super high into the other side of the court but it was not nearly high enough or far enough to do something like that so I'm trying to remember the specific details, but weren't they trying? Like he would have got fouled if he just hold if he just held yeah, on to the ball, much. right? And they got free it was throws. Like, there was less than ten seconds left. There was like six yeah. or five seconds left, and he got trapped on the sideline. 
Right. And instead of like just trying to throw it off with the defensive players or just waiting, like he could have just held the ball and like yeah. time probably would have went out. They might have called a five second call, but there would have been like 0.5 seconds left on the clock. Right. Um, but instead, yeah, he tried to like throw it to the other side of the court. It didn't even really look like he was throwing it to a teammate or even trying. Yeah. He just threw it up there, landed right in the lap of the uh, urban player, and they got the three right after that. So, yeah, yeah, that was kind of wild. <laughs> and like, that's that's the sad thing about that is that you know, Pete Clark really had a pretty good career at Virginia. Yeah, I don't know if I should say had. He might have one more year. I don't. Know. But like, that's what he's going to be remembered, right? Yeah, he's not going to be remembered as like, oh yeah, he's a pretty decent player, but was always a good defensive player for that years. He'll be remembered as, you know, that point guard that just <laughs> had the most costly turnover in a game that game. Yeah. And he was good in that game, I believe, too. Like he if I remember correctly, he was like their best player in that game. I mean, yeah, he was he was decent. I mean, Virginia struggled to score in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think Gardner probably was their leading scorer in that game. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, he, but yeah, but yeah, he won't be remembered for anything else he did in that game besides that. So yeah. it's unfortunate, but it's true. Um. Okay. Yeah. Sir. Any other teams you wanted to talk about in particular that covers a lot of the highlights from the tournament? Um. Overall, it's really fun. So kind of sad that we didn't get a better recap. I'm sure we could have done a much better recap if this was closer to the time that they. <laughs> Tournament actually ended, but like this was. So I think good. we hit most of the most of the important notes, though. Okay, so next thing we also wanted to talk about some hypotheticals for some conference realignments because this next year we had uh, BYU and a few other teams like Cincinnati and Houston heading to the Big Twelve, um, but there have been rumors of other teams potentially also making that transition. So we wanted to talk about, you know, what. You know what? What would be some cool teams to see join the Big Twelve, and then maybe what are some teams that would fail? So, yeah. All right, all right, Jordan. So, kind of the foundation for these rumors and discussions are one is the Big Twelve already has a TV deal um, with, I believe, Fox and the Big Twelve and ESPN that is going to net each to each of the twelve remaining schools uh, around thirty million dollars a year. Uh, which is significantly less, probably half of what the Big Ten and SEC teams are getting, which is why Texas and Oklahoma and USC and UCLA are leaving to go to those conferences because the money is significantly different. But right now the Big 12 contract is better than the ACC's contract, which uh, they are stuck into till 2036. So any of those teams that there's, they're not particularly happy about their lengthy contract. Um, it would be a significant buyout because they're so, their contract is so far into the future um, for any of those teams to leave. So the likelihood of any of the ACC teams in the near future joining the Big 12 is probably not very high because of the contract that they've gotten themselves into, although they are starting to show a little discontent about this their own situation and are looking for exit strategies, even if they may or not may not really exist. But the low-hanging fruit at the time, ironically, is actually the Pac-12 right now, 
um, who does not yet have a TV deal. Theirs expires. I believe their their current deal expires in 2024. And so they're trying to get a new deal currently. And they've been saying for like a year or more, uh, it's things are going well, negotiations are going well, we're doing fine. And they keep not signing a new deal. And they keep being reports of them like ESPN maybe basically just saying, yeah, we're not interested kind of thing. And so they're maybe losing some of their potential partners to drive the price up. And um, if that price, if they, if they end up signing a deal, the TV deal for the PAC 12, and it doesn't reach the, and it's significantly lower than even the big 12s number, then some teams may just say, you know what, actually we don't want that. We're going to, we're going to jump ship. Not comfortable with that. Or if they sign a deal like a deal with Apple or, or Amazon or something on a, on a place that is trying to get their way into college football, but it would not actually provide them the visibility that these schools would want on like a Fox or ESPN. And they may also say to that, no, I don't want that either. And maybe go to the Big 12 instead. Or the third insecurity in the Pac-12 is if Oregon and Washington, as their premier members left, um, after U, uh, USC and UCLA's jump to the Big Ten, also get a Big Ten invite. Then, who's the flagship left? In the, is it Utah? Utah becomes the best program in the Pac-12, and is that is that even a Power Five conference anymore? Uh, so there's lots of question marks right now with Pac-12, and there's rumblings of the four corner schools specifically. And so I'm going to list out a few schools uh, from a BYU perspective, Jordan, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. So let's consider them already gone. And there's 12 remaining teams after they leave to get to maybe 16 teams is a round number. Which of these schools would you be interested in? Would you like or, or would you not like any, any more additions of Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, San Diego State, or or some other member of the Pac-12. So maybe like Washington State or Oregon State or something like that. But but the what what has been really rumored are those four four corner schools: Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, San Diego State has been in some discussions, and then there's also been some pro, some preliminary discussions for UConn, just mentioned in college basketball, and Gonzaga as potentially um, basketball only additions to what will be probably the, the, the best basketball conference going forward in the new big 12. What stands out to you there? Or is there any that you particularly do or don't want as a, I mean, as a BYU fan? As a BYU fan, like the first thing that comes to mind on the list is, uh, getting back to some of the rivalries, obviously the Utah rivalry is ever since they've been in a different conference, the Rivalry games have been not consistent, you know, like there have been some years that we have been, haven't even had the game. So um, I think it'd be good to have that back. Um, and I think it also just, it's a, you know, it's a different dynamic. Like it's still a rivalry game when they're in a different conference and everything, but it's it brings it to a different level when they're back in the same conference and everything. So I would enjoy that along that same line, Gonzaga, because I feel like maybe where you and Gonzaga have developed somewhat of a rivalry in basketball. I mean, obviously, Gonzaga is usually the winner in that uh, scenario, but 
I still think that would be fun to watch. And then also from the other side of that, I feel like Gonzaga really deserves to be in like a power conference for their for their basketball pedigree. You know, they've had you know about twenty years of like pretty solid success at a national level. So I would like to see them, you know, make that make that transition because I mean, you know, after BYU leaves the WCC, um, it's gonna look pretty pretty slim. You know, you're yep. just back to St. Mary's and Gonzaga every year. That's it. So those teams would be fun from from that perspective. Um, can't say that I'd be too excited about you know the Arizona teams. They're fine, but it might be fun to have like San Diego State or Colorado to bring back that old Mountain West, you know, rivalry a little bit. So yeah, I don't know what were your thoughts. Yeah, I. I'm a little torn. I, I think I definitely would want Utah just for the reason that you said, just in terms of they're guaranteed on the schedule every year and they're playing for something, right? So it's not just you're playing each other and then you go home and then you are in your own conferences, right? And like your game matters, but it doesn't really matter. Whereas if it's in your in a conference game, it does matter. It matters for the conference and it matters because it's PRU Utah. So that's fun. Um, but also... There's the other side of me that says, uh, basically says, screw you, Pac-12. Like, you've been you've been turning your nose up at BYU for over a decade, saying like you're uh, essentially as a private religious school that isn't a official research university. Like, we don't we don't need you essentially, or we don't we we don't want to accept accept you into our ranks, even though now that they're desperate, they're looking at San Diego State, which is, I believe, not as good of an academic school and def definitely not as uh, monetarily beneficial as BYU. Um, so part of me kind of enjoys watching the Pac-12 crash and burn, and I don't really want to help them. But no, but wouldn't... Wouldn't the snub to the Pac-12 being Utah and, you know, all those teams moving, leaving the Pac-12 and joining the Big 12, wouldn't that be the snub? And then that would feel good from the BYU perspective. It's like, all right, Pac-12, now not only did you not accept us in, but now you have no one, you know, basically. All the good teams, you know, UCLA, USC has moved out, Utah, yeah. And then you're just left with Oregon and Washington. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what is is better, more vindictive, more more vindictive in in this situation. No, but either way, I I, I would like as 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 for the health of the of the conference and for wanting to play them, I would want Utah to make it. That would be that would be good for the conference. Uh, that's a rivalry. It's a that's a top ten rivalry in college football that should be played every year. Um, the other schools, I don't have anything particularly against. I mean, I would like to have Dion. Dion's Colorado in the conference for a little bit. That'd be fun. I don't know how long he's going to actually be there, but that would be fun. And, and Colorado has a winning, historical winning tradition, has ties to the Big 12. I, I like the idea of playing the Arizona States and Arizona and Colorados from a BYU perspective, because they all feel like they're games that are winnable. And they all give you more regional Mountain West ties as a BYU perspective. Because right now you're kind of playing 
the Plains schools, and then it's east. You're kind of the only Western school. Uh, yeah. So I like the idea of having the ties there. Is it any interest in like, because that would be 16 if you didn't do San Diego State, if it's just the four corner schools. Are there any other schools that you would you would want to see the Big 12 try to get or or not want to get? Like any interest in Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, uh, any other group of five schools? I mean, no. I mean, none of those other Pac-12 teams would really grab my interest too much because they don't really have as solid of programs. The other one that you mentioned that's kind of interesting is Cincinnati. Or, um, not Cincinnati, uh, Connecticut. You say UConn, right? I did mention UConn, yeah. About it. Like, from a basketball perspective, at least, that would be really fun as well. You know, another really prodigious, uh, or prestigious uh, program. As, yeah, as we mentioned, maybe won like four titles in the last 20 years. So, they have been stable as far as football is concerned, but basketball would be fun. They have been hideous in football for the past decade. Like, they've been worse than Kansas uh, for a good while now. So, that I'm not sure from the money perspective if it would actually work out. Um, but if they did basketball only, that'd be interesting. If they did. But I don't even know if UConn would want that, right? Because they're already in the Big East. And the base is pretty solid for basketball. Yeah. Okay, well, that's something to uh, keep your eye on. Some of these rumors swirling around. I'm not sure. I have really have no idea right now what the timeline is for any of these things happening. They kind of is what we've seen before in, in realignment is a lot of the discussion happens behind closed doors. And whatever you hear out loud is just posturing, right? You have to say what you have to say. Um, until until they announce that something has changed. And so probably won't know for sure until whatever it is happens, happens. But uh, it is an interesting discussion going forward and, and just uh, interesting how the Big 12 has done such a good job of positioning themselves from just two years ago being the conference that we weren't sure if it would continue to exist and it was certainly the weakest power five to all of a sudden, it's probably the third best, like a third best conference and the third most secure, connected, cohesive conference with the plan. Uh, whereas the ACC and the Pac 12 are both kind of disgruntled about their situations. So it's good to be a BYU Cougar right now and to be on the inside of the power five. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That'll be crazy if they do end up getting 16 teams now as a big conference. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. But, all right. Well, that, that wraps up our discussion on the conference realignment. Lots to look forward to. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep checking the news, see if any other teams are signing those deals. Wait, when, remind me, when is USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten? Um, I believe, I, uh, I want to say it's next year. Next year. Okay. So I, um, yeah, I believe it's, it's next year. Gotcha. Okay. So maybe a lot of shifting could happen next year. Yes. So this is also the last year for Texas and Oklahoma. Mm, yeah. 
All right. Oh yeah, I forgot. The, I thought they were moving to the SEC this year too. I didn't know. That, I didn't realize that they were still staying on this year. Okay. Yeah, this year will be the one year that that they'll have a fourteen team conference. So so it'll be everyone's last shot. Yeah. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Nice. Yeah, twenty twenty four is when UCA, UCLA, and USC will join, which I believe is. Is yeah, that'll be next year. So this will be the last year of football, according to uh, NBC Sports. Great. Well, next uh, next thing we wanted to talk about NBA playoffs, or I was I was going to say in full swing right now, but I guess they're kind of coming to a close. You know, <laughs> we have I mean, where the Nuggets are already in the finals, and they're waiting. We're waiting to see how long it takes the Heat to get to the finals. They've they're up three zero on the Celtics, and you know going up three zero with the death sentence for the other team. So, I mean, you never know. The Celtics might pull it off, but it's looking like it's going to be Heat Nuggets in the finals. But what have been your thoughts on the on the this playoffs this year? Uh, it's been pretty fun to watch. I think it's been well documented in our podcast that you are the predominant NBA watcher and I am the secondary. I'll watch it every once in a while, but mostly unsatisfied with the product of the NBA. Uh, and that still remains true with the regular season. I don't think I didn't watch any regular season games and I don't think you did either actually this year, right? No, the only regular season games that I actually watched all the way through were ones that I went to in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't, maybe some interest dwindling and also maybe we're just busy right now, but, um, but I have watched a pretty significant amount of the playoffs. I think the playoffs have been pretty fun overall. Um, There's, there's a lot of parodies, which makes a lot of the series, various series more interesting. Nuggets, Nuggets, Suns, um, uh, Celtics, Sixers. The heat, the heat, and the Bucks, Warriors, Lakers. There's been there's been a lot of interesting, like there's been a lot of interesting star matchups and a lot of interesting uh, kind of balanced teams where you have the Heat and the Lakers and the Warriors all as low seeds, but they've proven to be, in at least in seven game series, just as good as many of the higher higher seeds. Any yeah. surprises? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and to that point, like I know, particularly in the West, like the playoff race was so close. Like the third seed through, like the eighth seed, were all like within a few games of each other. I think yeah. going, going out to the ten seed, like it was all really close. So it really came down to those last few days of the regular season for what all those seedings were gonna be. So, um, and so I think that was reflected with, you know, all the you know, the even play that we saw throughout the rest of the series. And yeah, I don't remember, because I, I feel like typically in the NBA Finals, there are less upsets, right? Because, you know, playing a best of seven series, a lot of times, like, the better team you know, come out on top. It's, we're not we're not doing an NCAA tournament here where it's a one-game sample size, and you never know, the team just might not show up on yeah. that night. But yeah, it was it's been interesting to see this year that, you know, the Lakers made it to the Western Conference Finals as a seven seed, then he made it as an eight seed. You know, you don't see that very often. So, but it was fun to see. I think that's a good sign because I think it's reflecting, yeah, that a lot of the teams are more even. There's not like just a few super teams like we had in the past. You no, know, 
like where we had that stretch of just Warriors Cavs every year, you know, just different yeah. variations of that. So I think that is fun to see. I do enjoy that, even if it means that as a Warriors fan, I might not see them in the finals every year, but it's still kind of fun. Yeah, are you almost done being a Warriors fan? Uh, gonna... No, I I still like watching them. That's the root for them. Because I still, yeah. I mean, I've told you before, like, the reason why I'm a Warriors fan is I just, I really like the way that Steph Curry and Clay Thompson play. Um, all of the other Warriors are kind of giving me headaches. Like, I'm kind of sick of Draymond Green. <laughs> I, really, yeah. I don't really want to watch him anymore. Jordan Poole as well is also very painful to watch. Because he's very exciting. Like, he has really a lot of good moments, a lot of good plays. But he is one of the worst defenders I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is just like a lack of effort. Like he doesn't even try. And then he also just really tries to force the issue too much. Like if he just like turned down the dial, like I feel like he's always playing at 2x speed. If he could just turn down the dial to like 1.5 or 1.25x, I think he would avoid a lot of unnecessary turnovers and then also take better shots, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, that's kind of, kind of where I'm sitting at as a Warriors fan right now. So it'll be interesting to see if there's many changes in the roster moving forward um, or if they're just going to kind of stick with the same thing. I think it does hurt you that Andrew Wiggins kind of was – had to kind of come back and get – I don't know if he was really the same towards the end of the season because he got injured, right? Well, no, he so he – I mean, he did get injured more towards the middle of the season, if I remember right. Toward the end of the season, he missed a lot of games due to personal reasons. Uh, honestly, he came back and didn't really miss a beat too much. Like, he played pretty solid. He, I mean, he wasn't put, putting up, like, superstar numbers or anything like that, but he was getting consistent. Like, you know, around 18 points a game. Uh, didn't really turn the ball very much. And he was usually matching up against the other team's best offensive player, too. And he was... Sure. So, I don't... Yeah, don't... I don't really put the blame on Andrew Wiggins too much at all. I think it's a lot of those other role players that just couldn't really step up. And Clay Thompson too, like Clay Thompson just didn't really have a good game this whole year. Like it's yeah. usually he has a game where he just takes over the game. He didn't really have that this year. He had a few like solid games that he was hitting a decent, decent percentage of his shots, but just didn't really look like the, you know, the old Clay Thompson. So one thing I noticed as a stark difference in this playoffs that I thought was particularly illuminating is watching the Timberwolves play at the very beginning in the playoff, in the play-in, and then watching the Heat with Jimmy Butler and thinking back on that legendary practice where Jimmy Butler like just started just trash-talking all his teammates and took whatever, whatever the backups was and just beat them up in practice, and they ended up trading him. Because he was basically like, you you guys are a bunch of losers. You're a bunch of lazy losers who are weak mentally. And then he got traded. And uh, and now he's with the Heat as the guy. And he's single-handedly leading a team that don't even know who half their players are to the finals again. It's the second time, assuming they finished off the Celtics. And then watching the Timberwolves, who are just a disaster, they're fighting each other, and they're just I, Anthony Edwards needs to get the heck out of there. I know I feel bad because Anthony Edwards has a lot of potential. He's, good. He's not yeah. going to get anything in Minnesota. So, but yeah, looking at the Heat, it's just it's crazy to see how well they're doing. Because 
once Tyler Hero got injured in one of the first games of the playoffs, I was like, all right, they're done. Yeah. Because he's their he's their second option. Right. And it's not like Jimmy Butler is I mean, I I feel concerned about saying anything like that because he's been tremendous this playoffs. But if you were to tell me that Jimmy Butler is going to single-handedly take a team to the playoffs on his back, you know, kind of like LeBron would do to the with the Cavs teams back in the day. I would have told you there's no way, you know, like there's no he's getting through Giannis and the rest of the Bucks, and then also the Celtics with how balanced their attack is. Um, but yeah, they found a way to do it, and um, and yeah, like you said, it's with some players that were like not even drafted. Like I would say probably like they're. Their second scoring option right now. I mean, they have Bam Adebayo, yeah. who's a pretty good scoring option. But really, their other scoring option right now is Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent, yeah, not even drafted. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's just kind of crazy to you know look at that and um, yeah, yeah, you gotta have a lot of respect for those kind of teams, right? And I know, like um, Jimmy Butler, it's just interesting what his image. Like he's, I don't know if anyone's ever done such a reinvention of their stardom and image late into their career because like three or four years ago jimmy butler was just demar Derozan, right he's just some dude who's like he's okay like he's a good player you'd like him on your team but if he's the best player even the second best player you're probably not like going to win anything significant and then he's gone i mean maybe you go back a little bit more than three or four years ago like five six years because three well, like, or four years ago is when they made it to the finals. Well, that's kind of what I meant. Like right yeah, before yeah. that moment, though. Uh-huh, like, yeah. It was a, it was a pretty, it was shocking the first time they made it to the finals, and that was in the bubble, right? Yeah. So it was yeah, even a little bit of an asterisk there. But before that moment, before that playoff run, Jimmy Butler was Demar Derozan, who is basically a, a player that, if you're on, if he's on your team, you're uh, continually the Pacers. You're like the seven seed forever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You're you're okay, but you're not you're not gonna do anything special. And now all of a sudden he's just like he's a, he's uh he's bargain bin Michael Jordan out here, just willing his team willing his team to victories. I know despite beating the beating the Bucks, the uh who who'd they play in the second round? The uh, Knicks. The Knicks. Bucks, Knicks, and now uh, the Celtics. Pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it is pretty impressive. And yeah, one, I think one other thing that I'm enjoying from this playoffs is I think we're starting to see more of a trend towards, because you know, we had that uh, era where it was basically very dependent on super teams, right? Like you had to get three or four stars put together, just jam them all on one team. Doesn't matter if your bench looks like crap. Yeah. Um, if you have the three or four superstars, looks like you're gonna win. But what we're seeing this year is it's really like the more balanced teams that are having the success. Like, you know, the Heat, you know, kind of a lot, a lot more balanced. They have a lot um, better role players and everything like that. And then the Nuggets are the other team as well. Like, you know, they've got Jokic and Murray, um, who are you know pretty solid stars. But beyond that, they don't have anyone. You know anyone outstanding? You know they have Aaron Warren, who's like pretty solid. Um, Michael Porter Jr., uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, but all those guys are just like are, are playing really well together in their roles. So I think that's fun to see. You know, it's fun to see teams that just play really good team basketball, as opposed to how many different variations of isolation basketball can we play with the different players that we have 
to score, you know, enough points to win. So, yeah, I don't know about you, but uh, the Nuggets have been my favorite team to watch, and Nikola Jokic has been my favorite player to watch in quite some time. Actually, he's one of the only players that I will tune in just to watch him play because he is just so entertaining. He's so good in his his vision. His he does everything so well. Uh, and he's he's also the kind of player that you want to play with him, right? He's he makes everyone around him better. He he does the ball always goes where it needs to go, and he's just so technically sound. Uses his body uses his big body well, even though he's not terribly athletic. Um, extremely impressive. Doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So yeah, yeah. And I feel like he, he has such a good, like his post moves are also really good. Because as you mentioned, he's not super quick, but he does have some quick, like, like spin moves, like his drop step. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's just he, crazy to watch someone who's not really athletic just being able to score at will, basically, you know. So, yeah, he is fun to watch. Though. And Jamal yeah, Murray has also been fun to watch because... I mean, he, he's been a little off and on, but when he gets on, man, he looks unstoppable out there, you know? Yeah. And he can do it from all levels. He's, you know, got the pretty consistent three-point shot, got the mid-range, kind of a post-up game as well. So, yeah. yeah, they have been. I think they've been my favorite team to watch, too. I mean, after the Warriors kicked the bucket and definitely tuned in until the Nuggets games. Yeah, Jokic, for, the, for this playoff, uh, for the playoffs this year, he's averaging 30.4 points, 13.8 rebounds, and 10.2 assists uh, in all his playoff games this year in 13 games. Averaging a triple-double? He's averaging a triple-double as a, as a center, yeah. That is amazing. Very impressive. And I think that's the other thing I really like is his, his post-game is, is dirty. He's got a really good post-game. There's, there's hardly anyone in the NBA who – will actually finish around the rim appropriately. It's basically him and Embiid, and that's about it. Yeah. So, and even against players like like in the last series, Anthony Davis on him. He's one of the best. Anthony Davis, one of the best defender, big big men defenders in the league, and it really couldn't really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Davis still gets his, you know, four or five blocks a game, but at the end of the day, you know, Jokic was still averaging 30 on him. So. Right. But, yeah, it was very interesting to watch that, you know, the Nuggets-Lakers series and just see Anthony Davis would just disappear sometimes. Because yeah. I feel like the Lakers, their success really depends on how well Anthony Davis plays. Yeah. Because, um, you know, LeBron, you know, he's going to give you a consistent performance for the most part, and but he's... I feel like at this stage of his career, he's not going to will his team to victory. He needs that other guy. And that other guy is Anthony Davis, but he just was not showing up, you know. Yeah, Anthony Davis should be the number one option. Like, I, I don't really understand why they don't force, didn't force feed him more, especially to attack uh, Jokic. Yeah. Right? You, like, you want to tire out or maybe get into foul trouble. Yeah, make teams. Jokic move laterally. Yeah. Also stretch right. him up to the three because – Anthony Davis uh-huh. has the potential. But yeah, I think, well, yeah, part of it is probably coaching decisions, but I think part of it is that Anthony Davis just is not very 
aggressive. Aggressive, yeah. Because some he's shown that potential. Certain games he'll just like flip a switch and then he'll just be like, "All right, I'm in attack mode." Yeah. Yeah, he'll score like 30, 40 points. But then for the most part, all his other games, he just kind of, I don't know, content to sit in the back yep. seat. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, who you got then with, uh, I guess the Celtics are still in it technically. So Celtics, Heat, or Nuggets. Who right, you got in the finals and how many games? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the Heat, I, I would say the Heat are probably going to win in six. I think the Celtics might win game five at home. I think when my when they go back to Miami, I think Miami will close it out. I I mean, obviously, like the three over comeback has never happened before. I'm not saying it's outside of the realm of possibilities here. I mean, here I would actually give it a better shot because I do think that overall the, that Boston is a better team. They have just been underperforming like these yeah. first few games. Um, but it's really hard to bounce back, you know. So I'm gonna say Heat Nuggets is gonna be the you know the finals, and then yeah, I definitely gotta give the edge to the Nuggets. Because they got more star power. They got Murray and Jokic there. And also, even their supporting players, I think, are better as well. You know, all the supporting cast. Bruce Brown has been playing really good coming off the bench. I really liked watching him, too, because he's one of those guys that just does all those hustle plays for you, and he's also been shooting at a good rate. So, overall, got to give the edge to the Nuggets. I think they're going to win their first ever NBA Finals as a franchise. Okay. How many, how many games? Is it gonna be oh. close series? Uh, six games? You gonna they gonna take him to six? Five or six. I'm gonna go five. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I was at too. I'm yeah. kind of thinking that it, the way that they've been playing has been pretty substantial. Although there is like eight, eight, like eight or nine days from the first finals game till the last game the Nuggets played. So that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, if that affects them in any way, it probably won't. But well, and one thing to keep in mind there too is I think Tyler Hero should be coming back by the time the NBA Finals comes around. But I don't know how much that would actually help them at this point because they've been playing pretty well without him. So you yeah. never know what like throwing him the player back in the mix is that going to disrupt their their rhythm on offense and things like that. Um, also, I don't really know if Tyler Hero is enough to like put them over the top or anything. Yeah. But something to keep in consideration. Yeah, that'd be interesting, coach. Like as a coach, what do you even do there? Because if I'm kind of in the mindset of like, yeah, you he's not playing unless unless they just get down and they need a spark. Otherwise, like even if he's healthy, like we just went to the finals without yeah. him and we were an eight seed with him. So sorry, like not nothing I mean, personal, but right least, now, right now there's no reason to take uh, out like just play him off the bench. I would not start him the first game back for sure. Yeah. So I think that'd be a pretty consensus thing. Have Gabe Vincent keep his starting role because he's been playing pretty well. And then maybe have Tyler Hero come off the bench, you know, play a few minutes here and there. If he looks like he's, you know, back to Tyler Hero original form, maybe give him some more minutes. But that's, yeah. I mean, I think that's how you would approach it, you know, from a coaching perspective. So, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we both agree the Nuggets will. Win barring some kind of catastrophic injury disaster situation. And uh, does your answer change if the Celtics somehow do pull off the comeback? No, I mean it might take six games instead of five, but I think the Nuggets are the best team. Okay. Although I, I mean, I guess if the Celtics were to do that, they'd be pretty hot going into the finals. If, yeah. but I still think the Nuggets are better. 
Yeah, I just so I think the thing with the Celtics is they're just not consistent. No. Like yeah. Jason Tatum will have the crazy stat that I heard listening to the game last night was that Jason Tatum had not scored a single field goal in any of the first three games in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So like fourth quarter he would just disappear. He was getting yeah. some points from the free throw line. Like he was not scoring any field goals, which as your main star player, like you can't let that happen, you know? Yeah. So Okay, well, let's get down to uh, serious business here, Jordan. You have a you have a, uh, a essentially a top five of what you have, but it's really a squad a basketball starting five situation. You want to explain that? Yep. So we decided to you know, we you know we've done so many starting the five lists of like you know you know greatest of all time, specifically like college basketball stuff like that, but. All of those were concerning real people. So, so really, what we thought would be a more like a more entertaining list would be of all the fantasy and sci-fi characters that are out there. Who would make the best basketball player? So, who are you putting on your starting five from all those different uh, novels, movies, what have you? Um, so, yeah, I think the best thing to do. I think we should go through. I'll do my starting five first, and then we'll, we'll do your starting five. Just so, because a big component of this is the chemistry, right? The team chemistry. So yeah. I feel like you need to say them all together to kind of say how you think that they would work together, right? Okay. okay. So let's go with my starting five. So at point guard, I've got starting Captain America. So not only okay. does he have his superhuman strength and speed and all those abilities, but I feel like he is also one of those superheroes that is very dependable and would be a great uh, leader figure. So someone that would be good to orchestrate the offense as a point guard. Um, so that would be my pick for point guard. At shooting guard, I've got Legolas coming in from Lord of the Rings. Like I feel like he would be able to have so many acrobatic finishes around the rim because uh, of his, he's just so nimble, right? Yeah, I feel like he would have some really good, some really good moves. He'd, you know, have some ankle breakers, shake people out of their, out of their shoes. So I feel like he'd get kind of bodied up though. It's kind of skinny. I mean, yeah, you, know, you, you don't have the, you know, the shooting guards usually aren't like the, the most buff. You know, he he might get bounced around a little bit. If, if you thought he would get bounced around, you're gonna love my next pick. So coming out on the other wing is uh, Aang, the last airbender. You say Aang? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I feel like he would, I mean, with his airbending skills, that would really come in handy with basketball. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know, just slightly adjust the ball to make it go in and also yeah, uh -huh. off the other opponents and things like that. Also, like, he could kind of hover around a little bit. Um definitely have would have an advantage in basketball because I guess it's not traveling if you never touch the ground, right? So yeah, you just get one step. Get one right, step so. and as long as you never touch the ground again, yeah. You do whatever. Seems okay. like. Yeah. So um yep, Aang's coming in at small forward, I guess. Maybe I I'll put Aang as shooting guard and then might have a small forward. Okay. Um our forward is a Spider Man. Again oh, your corner. Your team is tiny. I mean, they are pretty small, 
but here's the thing is they're also really strong like super uh, spider-man is really strong captain america is really strong so they'll be able to hold their own against you know other people that might be trying to post them up all right I, anyways yeah so i i am kind of playing small ball here but you know that's that's this day and age you know it's just kind of transition yeah. to the small ball here okay um so yeah also yeah spider-man just super athletic and then you can use those webs you know to save the ball from going out of bounds or something like that and then my center yeah, i did struggle coming up with a good big man because i feel like a lot of like the big guys that like come to mind like the hulk and everything i don't feel like they would have good enough dexterity to actually score the ball consistently or like yeah. pass the ball and everything so i have concerns about that so at the center i have thor coming in because i mean he's a pretty good big man yeah. also with the ability to fly and I'm just kind of depending on him, even though he's maybe not the tallest. He'll uh, he'll be able to use his size and strength to to match up against with opponents in the post. So those are my those are my starting five. All right. Okay, mine mine are a little bit positionless. I didn't really think too much in terms of like point guard specifically. Um, so I'm not sure exactly who I who I got playing point guard. I, it might be I might have a point forward situation. So the first one on my list is uh, Cyborg from the DC uh, comics. He's he's a cyborg, so he's big and strong and powerful and fast and stuff. But he before he became a cyborg, he was like a all state high school athlete. So he has natural. He has the it factor of being able to actually play sports and knowing the strategy. And so I'm kind of thinking of him as like the LeBron point forward. He's big. But he like knows what's going on, right? Um, he's actually athletic. And then uh, I have two shooting guards essentially. So I have Hawkeye as my uh, Good one. Yeah. shooting guard, uh, as he said in the uh, in the movies. When someone asked him to take up golf, he said, "Played eighteen, shot eighteen. So he's gonna make all his shots from from deep range." And then my other shooting guard is going to be Deadshot from, once again, going back to DC. And he's the guy that is a, he's good with all kinds of rifles, but he's known primarily with his like sniper rifle that he'll shoot like across the city and like hit two people and then like hit a ricochet off two buildings and then hit the target that he wants to hit or something. So he's also in the realm of uh, deep, deep range for my team. And then as my big guy, my center, um, I wanted someone with leadership who also has basketball experience, who is also big and strong and would be able to like put up a fight with other fantasy squad guys. Like if someone else had the Hulk or something or Thor, I picked Optimus Prime. Oh, my, that's a good one. The, uh, my team captain. And uh, how's he grabbing the ball though? I feel like that'd be a, a struggle. In the uh, original um, Transformers animated series, um, Generation One, there's an episode where the all the Autobots are playing basketball, oh, irrespectively really? with a couple of humans. I don't really know why, because that's a terrible idea. Because they were all like, you know, 15 feet tall, except for the humans were not. But Optimus Prime was playing basketball and he dunked it. So there's. So he's also someone that actually has basketball experience and he's big and strong. All right. 
So he's my muscle inside. And then uh, my fifth one is, I mean, this one's obvious, uh, is it's Michael Jordan would be my fifth. Uh, what? My fifth one, yeah. From, oh, uh, you're counting him from Looney Tunes? From, like real uh, person. from Space Jam? The real person, though. I mean, he's more than that. Don't don't just talk about Michael Jordan like he's just a normal person. Okay, so you're getting Toon Squad Michael Jordan, where he can stretch yeah. his arm to be fifty feet long. Yep. To dunk from half court. That's correct. All right. I feel like that's a little bit of a cop out answer, but I guess I'll give it to you. And he would be my star player, of course. Yeah. So. So you can send us your feedback on which team had the better fantasy squad. So um, just let me know because I already know mine was better. But you can uh, send us your feedback however it is that you can. I don't actually know how you can because I don't think you can on Spotify. But you probably, if you're listening to this, you know us. I actually could put in, like, it allows me to put in, like, a Q&A thing. And so I can have it be, like, a free response. Oh, ah, yes. We could do that. Like I don't know anyone would fill it out. But... Like a poll? Yep. Poll yeah, question? Yeah, poll. do a poll question. Yep. Yep. We'll, we'll put it on the poll. If anyone responds, we'll read it in our next episode. Yeah, there you go. There's some incentive there. All right. Oh, nice. That was good. That was kind of fun. I enjoyed thinking about that. Although, yeah, I just, I'm not really confident about my top five because. I just couldn't think of any good big guys. Like Optimus Prime would be good, but I still have questions about his, you know, ball handling ability. So I guess I'll have to watch that episode, you know, to really to scout it out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'd be doing a lot of ball handling. Yeah, I don't think so. No. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been fun as always. Um, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Probo Pick and Roll podcast. I would like to promise that we'll be more consistent with these, but you know, it just depends. You know, a lot of times we have busy schedules, but hopefully we're both transitioning into periods of our lives that are less busy. So you might be able to do a few more of these. But anyways, but you know, thanks for sticking with us throughout throughout some of our dry spells. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that concludes our episode. And until next time, who's Kevin? And go Cougs.